Okay, well, let's dig into this real quick here. So we're in the middle of a series called Getting a Grip. And what we're talking about is how to get a grip on Jesus. The idea of a grip is how do we avoid losing traction? Now, I'm, I'm really glad. I know that the weather shifted, and now it's kind of cold again. We had 70 degrees, and now we got in the 20s at night. But I'm still very thankful that we're not out there on ice or snow. Because if you're not on something firm, you don't get traction. If you can't get a grip, you can't get traction. If you can't get traction, you can't get moving. Well, that happens to Christians a lot. Have you ever seen that? And you see what it looks like, too, because all of a sudden the joy starts going away. The purpose starts going away. Eventually, the attendance starts going away. And then sometimes it's just this heartbreak that sets in. Because you believe so much in something, but now it just seems like ritual. It just seems like something that you're doing because you're supposed to do it because you're supposed to. And that is a horrible place to be. If you've been there or if you're there now, you know it's not fun. You also need to know it's not at all what God had intended for any of us to experience or to go through. So last week we looked at a chunk of Scripture. And we're actually going to stay with the Scripture again this week. We looked at Matthew 16, verses 13 through 17. And if you remember what was going on there, Jesus asked the disciples, Who do people say that I am? Everybody's got an opinion on Jesus. Have you noticed that? And they don't all agree. They've all got an opinion. And 2,000 years ago, whenever he was still in his ministry on this earth, people didn't agree then. And what we found out was there's still this struggle. There was, it was then and it's now of trying to get a grip on the Jesus that you want to be real rather than the Jesus that is real. And if we're going to do any better, if we're going to avoid stagnation, if we're going to get traction, well, maybe that's the first place to start is to make sure that we're grabbing onto the real Jesus. And so we talked about some things last week that could help us towards that. This week we're going to look again at the same passage. So let me take you to verses 15 through 17. Jesus said to them, But who do you say that I am? So he, he just asked him and heard what people were saying about him, who he was. He asked his guys, Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Then Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Barjona just means son of Jonah. Because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who's in heaven. Okay, so there's like three things here that we're going to look at. We're going to look at one of them today. We'll look at the other two next week. He says, blessed are you. That's one. Because flesh and blood didn't reveal it to you. That's two. But my Father in heaven revealed it to you. That's number three. And I think taking a look at these three could really help us to get a grip. Do you think Peter had a grip? Okay, that was a question. Do you think that Peter had a grip on Jesus? Yeah, we'll talk about that in, in just a second here. But let me just ask you this. Jesus looks at him and he says to Peter, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. How many of you guys would like to be blessed? Show of hands. Uh, is someone going, ushers, could you count real quick? Okay, not everybody. Some of you guys are either holding them down here, not committing, or you, don't, you think I'm trying to set you up. How would you like for Jesus to look at you and say, you're blessed? Dave, you're blessed. Would you like that? Huh? <laughs> Sounds nice, doesn't it? Okay, well, if you don't want to be blessed, I can't help you today. But if you do want to be blessed, I think there are some things that we can learn. 
Now, those of you who say, I'll work with you that, that put your hands in the air. Those of you that said that you would like to be blessed, what does being blessed mean? Do what? That would fit in, in, that's not the definition of blessed, but that would fit under it. He said, your sins are not being held against you. I think that that would be a working definition. What, what are some other ideas? Because you just said you wanted to be blessed and you don't know what being blessed is. Dan, shown special favor? Yeah, I, I think that would fit, kind of like Steve's definition. It's not the definition of the word. Lucky. No. <laughs> no, it's not lucky. Okay. The Greek word for this that Jesus used is a Greek word called makarios. Makarios. You don't have to remember that. But here's the thing. It gets, it gets translated into English. We don't have an, an, a one-for-one one translation of the word blessed into English. You'll see some translations that will call it happy. Uh, other, other times... That same word gets translated fortunate. What it's talking about is it's a lot more than just being happy. It's about being in a good place that makes you happy. See, when you're blessed, you're in a good position. You get that? So those of you who said, yeah, I would like to be blessed, good news. It's a choice. You can be blessed. You just have to choose to be blessed. It's about putting yourself in a good position. Have you ever tried to get a grip on something when you weren't in a good position? Tried to hang on to something when you weren't in a good position? I had this dog whenever I was a kid. I was probably 7th or 8th grade. We called him Biggin. He was a stray that kind of came up. We lived in a small town. Nobody had a leash law. So dogs were always coming around. We shared dogs sometimes. Biggin, we called him Biggin because he was some kind of a hybrid between like a German shepherd and a dinosaur. He was huge. And he became kind of my responsibility and my dog. We lived in, a, in an area that was very, very flat. Southeastern Illinois, very flat. And this time of year in particular, it would just rain and rain and rain. And the ground couldn't absorb all of it. So you would have these very shallow, like two and three inch deep mud holes that sometimes were the, as big as a parking lot. I lived just a block away from the high school. And out there in that field, there were all these big puddles. Well, I didn't know because I didn't raise Biggin, but Biggin loved mud holes. So I'm, I'm going probably about 90 pounds. I'm walking a dog that's got 100 pounds on me. Biggin sees a mud hole, and like a shot, he's galloping. And I am not in a position to hang on to this dog. But being somewhat young and a little bit athletic, I decided to brace. So I did one of these numbers and stuck out my legs and leaned way back. And you know what happened? It didn't slow Biggin down at all. What happened is I, I started skiing. I, I seriously, I was barefooting. In the, in the, in the schoolyard with this dog just galloping through all these holes and it was fun. So I was like, hey, this is cool. This is a form of recreation in a small town. So me and Biggin, we're having fun every day skiing. I thought this was probably not the kind of information I should share with my parents. So I thought, I'm not going to let them know. I don't want them to shut down and rain on my parade. I went to go get Biggin after school one day. It had been raining. Lots of mud holes. I'm looking forward to skiing. Biggin is gone. And I look out across the yard, and I see my mom walking Biggin towards the schoolyard. I hadn't told my mom about Biggin's affinity for mud holes. And what I see, is, and I'm, I, I can't, it's like in slow motion, I'm wanting to go, no, don't. And all of a sudden, the dog hits it. 
if you think you can't keep up with a German Shepherd at a full gallop, you're right. My mom could not keep up with him. And she hung in there, bless her heart. She hung in there for a couple of yards, but she was taking one step every five or six yards trying to keep up with this dog. Sooner or later, boom, down she went. She wasn't in a position to hold this dog back. And so she went a little skiing too, but it looked more like being drugged. And so there she is like this, going through the mud holes, and eventually she lets go. And I was nowhere to be found. <laughs> I saw the whole thing. I got to spend some, some quality time in the doghouse with Biggin for a couple of weeks after that. It is no fun trying to hang on to something when you're not in a position to do it. So hopefully we can look at how we can get ourselves into a position. You want to be blessed? That's a really good thing. You can do it. It's about getting yourself into a position. So let's look at this a little bit further here. Get back to my notes. How can we be blessed like Peter? How can we get ourselves into a position to get a grip, to get traction, to hold on to Jesus and start moving forward in our faith, in our fellowship? Well, this isn't going to be an exhaustive study. We don't have enough time for that. But if you want to take this a little bit further, look up the word blessed. Get a Bible program or a concordance and just check out all the verses that use this Greek word makarios, this Greek word blessed, and it will enlighten you about some things and how you can put yourself in a better position. But where's the biggest chunk of verses that talk about being blessed? Matthew. Yeah, they call them the Beatitudes. Matthew 5, verse 6. I found two today that I think we can look at and really profit from. In Matthew 5, verse 6, Jesus said, Blessed, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Okay, Hamlin's revised. When you are, you are in a good position, whenever you're hungry and thirsty for righteousness. Why? Why are you in such a good position? Why are you blessed if you're hungry and thirsty for righteousness? It says it right there. Because you'll be what? Satisfied. You ever been really hungry and get that meal that just satisfies? Now, who is it that does the satisfying in that verse? Who is it that does the satisfying? I think it's God, isn't it? If you're hungry and thirsty for righteousness, He will satisfy that. If you want to be in a good position, it's a choice. If you want to be blessed, it's a choice. Be hungry and thirsty for righteousness. What did that look like in Peter's life? How do we know that Peter was actually hungry and thirsty for righteousness? I want to show you about three scriptures and see if we can find some principles in there. Matthew 10.2 says that now the names of the twelve apostles are these. The first is Simon. Why did they mention Simon first? Does that mean that he's a, a better apostle than the others? That he's more important? Nope. Now there's some people who think so. I really don't think that there's anything in Scripture that really says that. If you want to talk to me about that later, I'd be glad to. I think the reason why he's first is because Peter refused to blend in. If you were really hungry, hadn't eaten in a time, would you be like, okay, I know there's food over there, I'll get to it eventually? I, you can tell I don't miss many meals. I would find a way to get to the front of the line if I'm really hungry and thirsty, right? If you're hungry and thirsty for righteousness, you're not going to hang back and wait and maybe a burger will flip your way. You're going to be pursuing it. You're going to not blend in. You're going to stick out. Peter was like that. Peter didn't blend in. He was always seen. Just, just read about Peter and, and read through the Gospels and you'll see he doesn't hang back and blend in, does he? Next thing I would show you is that Matthew 14, 28. 
Peter said to him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. You know the story. You know what's going on there, right? Jesus is walking on the water. There are 12 apostles, disciples, I guess, at that time, in the boat. Eleven don't say a word. <laughs> well, they, they, they kind of do. But there's only one. Peter is the one who says, Lord, tell me to come out to you. Why weren't all twelve saying, hey, can we walk on the water? Peter was in a good position. He wanted to get out of the boat. He was blessed. See, Jesus did, Peter didn't get blessed. I meant to say this earlier. I'm fighting with my cord here. Peter didn't get blessed because Jesus said, pronounced him blessed. You get that? He didn't just all of a sudden, because Jesus said you're blessed, now he's blessed. He had gotten himself into a position. Jesus was declaring a reality. He was saying, this is what you are. You get that? And how that works together? Peter was this kind of a guy. I think he was hungry and thirsty for righteousness. He refused to be blended in, and he was willing to get out of the boat in order to be like Jesus. What's the principle there for us? What's the boat really represent for us? Looking for a principle. What's that? Comfort zone. Security. It's scary to get out of your boat, isn't it? If you want to be blessed, you're going to have to get out of the boat. What is that security thing that you hang on to? Are you wanting to be like Peter enough? You said you wanted to be blessed. But are you satisfied with blending in? Do you re- are you really hungry and thirsty for righteousness? Do you like the safety of the boat? You don't want to take any risks to be like Jesus? These are the principles. This is what it looked like in Peter's life. Matthew 15, 15. Peter said, explain the parable to us. Now why would Peter be wanting an explanation to a parable? It wasn't the first time or the only time that, that Peter would look for an explanation. He wanted to know how to apply the Lord's teaching. He wasn't just satisfied with not understanding. A lot of people were. Not everybody asked, hey, can you tell me how this applies to my life? Can you teach me how to put this into action? Not everybody did that then. Not everybody does that now. It's quite possible that I'll say something that that you're going to go, huh? I don't understand how to use that. I don't what are you saying, really? Are you going to go, mm, okay, whatever. I'll be back next week. I'll blend in. I'm more comfortable in this boat. Maybe it's getting out of your boat to ask a question. But if you're going to be like Peter, if you're going to be blessed, you're not going to be satisfied with not understanding. You're going to want to know how to do this, how to take action, how to apply the teachings of Jesus in your life. You see how Peter was that way? That's what it looked like in his life. Hopefully I've just given you a couple of principles there that you can draft into your life and apply and choose to be blessed. But I thought, you know, maybe this morning we ought to take it just a little bit further, move from principle into personal. Now this is where it gets risky. As a preacher, there's, a, there's always those times where you're afraid that you're going to get on people's toes so much that tonight you're going to show up at my house with pitchforks and torches and come and get me. But I don't do you much good if I don't take you into the personal application. I'm not here just to entertain. What I'm hoping to do here is to give you some things that I try to use to improve my grip, put me in a position where I can be blessed, trying to share them with you. Hopefully you'll get a hold of them. So if I'm on your toes, sorry, uh, but sometimes that's the way that it has to be. 
Matthew 6.33. Everybody in this church probably knows this verse. We throw this one around a lot, right? Matthew 6.33. What does it say? Seek first his what? His kingdom and his and his righteousness. This is a very good verse. We shouldn't slow down or, or use it less often. We should use it even more often. What does seek first mean? It's pretty much self-evident, isn't it? Seek first. It's a priority. First is always first. It's what I do instead of other things. This gets top priority. What's he wanting us to see? His kingdom and his righteousness. Hungry and thirsty for righteousness? People that are hungry and thirsty for righteousness will seek first his kingdom. So what we're talking about here is a priority list. And what I'm finding as I study is there are two types of priority lists that you can have. One that equals being blessed, being in a good position to get a grip on Jesus, get some traction and move forward, and a list that equals not blessed. I'm not going to get a grip on Jesus. I'm not going to get great traction. Pretty simple, right? The binary choice. Blessed, not blessed. Both are priority lists. Now the problem with when I say that is most of us think that a not blessed list looks something like this. That is not the only example of a, ble- of a not blessed priority list. In fact, I don't think many people here would have a priority list that really looks like that. If you do, wow. Most of us have it a little bit clearer than that. Okay, so what does a blessed, look, a blessed priority list look like versus a not blessed list? And if you'll look on your notes... I gave you, I think, about eight different uh, priorities that are affirmed in Scripture. And this is where you have to do some personal work here. You have to make some personal application. Let's just look at them real quick. The first one is finding out what pleases the Lord. And I gave you a Scripture reference so that you can go back and look at these for yourself, read them in context, make sure I'm not bending or twisting or shaping this in a way that the Lord wouldn't approve. First thing, first priority that He blesses, finding out what pleases the Lord. The next one is doing what pleases the Lord. You see why you need both? Next one would be giving to others more than getting. This is about having a focus. This could be applied to money, but not just money. Uh, the, the, the place where we get this reference is Paul quoting Jesus in Acts 20, and Paul's talking about being a hard worker. Do you have more of an emphasis on what you get than what you give? Which was your emphasis when you came here this morning? If you're a guest this morning, I'm not trying to get on you. But for our members who've been here for a while, did you come here to get or to give? Because if your emphasis, a lot of people will say, well, both. Okay, but what's first? That's what Jesus says, right? First. If you came here for what you could get primarily, that equals not blessed. You hear what I'm saying? See, I, we live in a culture that tells us that coming to church on Sunday morning is being a Christian. That this is what it's all about. This is not what it's all about. What we do on Sunday morning is we bring the home team together for a huddle. We remind each other of what the Word said. We encourage each other and get amped up to go back out and serve and to be like Him. Why? Because if we're blessed... 
if we're seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness, we're not, the kingdom is not just here inside this big concrete shell. The kingdom is invading this world. It goes with us. We take it to advance it. But you can't do that if you're thinking about all, about, if your emphasis is on what I get. You're going to get really stagnated. You know why? Because your experience is going to be defined by what you do in this building and only what you do in this building on Sundays. That equals not blessed. I notice that we have a lot more people here today than we had yesterday whenever we had an event for basketball. I can't play basketball anymore. Like, <laughs> I never could. Let me just be honest with you. I was never a basketball player. The only sport I was halfway good at was boxing. They don't allow you to do that on the court. <laughs> so Unless they, you just need a guy for fouls, and I'm not that big, so I was going to get whooped if I tried to foul the wrong guy too much. Last year I got out here and I tried to play. I was more, emphasis that, more on the emphasis of what I was going to give than what I was going to get, and what I got was a torn quad. <laughs> but you know what? I still come. You know why? Because I'm interested in who I can meet. I'm interested in cheering on the people who, who try, whether they play good or not. And as a church, that's why we do these things, so that we can meet people, so we can have a good time, so we can show them what it's like to be in a church of believers, and we try to connect. But if you're not interested in coming and supporting things like that, this is guard your toes, here I come. If you're not interested in supporting things like that, are you more interested in what you can get out of this church than what you can give? Are you more interested in what the people here can give you than what you can give to others through Christ? One is blessed and one is not. Where does it fall on your priority list? Now, if you notice, the things that I've got down here that are affirmed by Scripture, good marriage or getting married, anything wrong with that being a priority in your life? No, I gave you Scripture that says it's a good thing. Earning money. Anybody tell you that there's something wrong with earning money? Check out 1 Timothy 5.8. I think it's affirmed in Scripture. What about kids? Anything wrong with wanting kids or raising kids or trying to get your kids to be involved in sports and different things? No, I think it's pretty much good. Houses. Anything wrong with wanting to have a house or have a nice house? Don't think so. Recreation or vacation? Ah, surely there's something wrong with having a selfish recreation or vacation. No, it's in Scripture too. It's affirmed. So now, you've got two lists there that you're looking at in your notes. One says blessed, one says not blessed, and you've got about eight choices here that are rounded off, but I think we all understand them. What order should they go in if we want to be blessed? You said you wanted to be blessed, right? You still want to be blessed? It's a good choice. You really should. If you want to get a grip on Jesus and avoid traction or losing your grip altogether, then you're going to want to be blessed. You want to be in a good position. So, what order would you put these priorities in? What would be the first thing on a blessed list of priorities? Huh? Say? Faith? A. There we go. I was going to say, faith is great. It's hard to argue with. I just didn't have it in the list. I was trying to scramble to think how I'm going to turn that break. No, A is right. It makes sense to me to find out what pleases the Lord. Bob, how long have you been a Christian? A very long time. I, I'm coming up on 40 years. Longer? Yes, yes. I'm finding that even with 40 years in, I'm finding out that I don't always know what pleases Jesus. I'm finding new ways to please Him. Is that true for you too? You know why that is? You would think with 40 and more than 40 years of trying to follow the Lord, 
that if it was down to a list of do's and don'ts, we would have found the list. How many times have you read through the Bible, Bob? Lost count? Yeah, I, I, I've probably not as much as you, but I've been through it a few times. I still don't have a list. You know why? Because Jesus is a person. It's about a relationship. It's not about having a bunch of rules. If your version of Christianity is a bunch of do's and don'ts so that you can get a ticket to go to heaven, you haven't got the real Jesus. And it's going to be very frustrating. But when you have a relationship with Jesus, like a relationship with your wife, I still find out things my wife, she changes a little here and there. She gets deeper and richer. And I don't have a list with my wife. I know more about what pleases her, but I'm always finding new things. I found out in my following Jesus and looking for what pleases him, you know one of the things I found out recently? Jesus doesn't always want me to talk. Sometimes he's a lot happier with me whenever I bite my lip. Another thing I found out, Jesus doesn't always want me to be reconciled with everybody just because they call themselves a Christian. There are some people he doesn't want me to be close to. Does that surprise you? Maybe you're looking at more of a list than you are at a relationship. I think you're right. I think the first one in that blessed list is to find out what pleases the Lord. What would be the second one? What's that? Yeah, it's not that difficult, is it? This sort of just falls in line. If you know what to do, maybe you should do it. What's the third one that should be on there? C. Yes, very good, you're catching on. C is giving to others more than you get. We talked about that a little bit. That is a blessed list. Does that mean that you're always perfect if you have that list? Does that mean that, that you've got it and you don't... This isn't a solo sport. You're going to need help with it. Even when you've got the right priority list, living up to it is somewhat difficult because we live in a land that is broken. We live in a world that's broken. And we ourselves are broken people and we're going to be inconsistent. I'm a baseball fan. Anybody else? A good hitter hits the ball how many times out of ten? Three out of ten. That means the difference between a good hitter and a bad hitter is just a couple more times hitting the ball then it's not hitting it every time. And I think it's a little bit like that in our walk with God. Whenever you're serious about serving God, serious about being in a position to have a grip on Him, you learn and you practice righteousness and you bring your average up. You start hitting it more. But you're not going to be perfect with it. It's part of the reason why we need a team, why we need help and people who can help us with our blind spots. Okay, so I've made the idea clear about what a blessed priority list looks like. What does a not blessed Priority list look like. What's that? All the rest? No, they're all affirmed in Scripture. They're all affirmed in Scripture. Oh, so it's not enough just to do the good things. It's the order in which you do them and how you do them. Yeah. You want a not blessed list? It's not as, it's a lot easier than you might think. It's not this rascal. Me, 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 you, nope, me. That's not a not blessed. Just take something else and put it into number one. Just take one of the good things that God affirms in Scripture and make it more important than finding out what pleases Him. And you've got a not blessed list. So, how does this work in real time? If you spend more time and energy getting your kids to play soccer or wrestling or football, or whatever it is, then you put into finding out what pleases the Lord, your list equals not blessed. 
I told you, watch out for your toes. Not here to offend anybody. I learned something in marriage a few years ago. I have to make a choice sometimes as to who I'm going to offend. My wife or somebody else. The Lord was good to me on this, and He told me, if you've got to choose between offending your wife and someone else, offend someone else. That works out pretty good. You know what? It's the same choice when it comes down to if I'm going to offend Jesus or offend you. Again, I don't look good enough to stand up here so that you can think I to entertain you with my looks. I'm not funny enough to entertain you that way. That's not what preaching is about. I'm here to try to share with you some things that I've learned from other followers of Christ that you can apply. And if I offend you by telling you the truth, I'd rather offend you than offend Jesus. Because if I stand up here in His name to tell you how to follow Him and get a grip on Him, and I'm not willing to tick you off, then that must mean that I am willing to tick Him off. And let me assure you, I am not willing to tick Him off so that you won't be mad at me. If you want my address so that you can show up at my house later with the pitchforks and the torches, I'll text it to you. You can all come to the house. We'll have a barbecue. If you're putting more time and effort into your house, if you're putting more time and effort into anything than following Jesus, you're not in a position to get a hold of Him. You're not in a position to see Him. Let's move on. The second thing that we can do how we can be blessed is by being pure in heart. It's another one of the Beatitudes. It's in Matthew 5.8. Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart. Why? Why are the blessed, why are, are the pure in heart blessed? Why are they in a good position? They shall see God. Isn't that what we're talking about? Do you want to see Him accurately? Kind of goes back to our first week's lesson, doesn't it? Do you want the Jesus that you want to be real, or do you want the real one? Do you want the God that you want to be real, or do you want the God that is real? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So, what's pure in heart mean? I've heard this used a lot of different ways, but I can tell you that it doesn't mean, it does not mean those that are perfect. Those that are morally perfect. Nobody is morally perfect. There would be nobody that is pure of heart if that was what that means. It's not talking about being sexually pure or chaste. What it's talking about is it's talking about the content of your heart. Is it purely for God? Or do you have a divided heart? Whenever I go to the grocery store, I cook with olive oil a lot of times, and I look for pure olive oil. Why do I want pure olive oil? What, what's my expectation that's in that jar? That it, well, that it's a better quality because it's all completely olive oil. There's nothing else in it. No impurities, no canola oil, nothing this or that. It's just olive oil. That's what I expect when I look for something that's pure. What does God expect when He looks at your heart? What does He expect to be in there? And yet, how many of us today, and I know some of you got pure hearts. And I know some of you guys do not. And it's not a black or white thing. It's not, I'm all this or I'm none of this. What I think it is for most people is it's a divided heart. I got a heart for God, but I also got a heart for fill in the blank. And you will see it reflected in your priority list. If you want to challenge where your heart is, see, I can't look at you and tell you what your heart is. That's work you got to do. I mean, the Bible does say that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. I can pick up clues. I can look at your actions. 
But nobody's going to be able to tell you more about your heart than you and God. We sing a song, Search Me, Know Me. It's based off something that David said. Have you asked God to show you what your heart is really? What's really in there? Because that's work you're going to have to do. And without it, you're not going to see God. And this isn't a new thing. This isn't just a New Testament thing. Deuteronomy 6.5 says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Well, only all is all. Is there any room in there for anything else? No, if it's all, it's all. Now, does that mean that to have a pure heart or to be blessed by God, I've got to be so transcendent and so spiritual that I never think about anything? I just kind of go, how does this work out in real life? You know, I, got, I go through the holidays just like you. How do I keep a pure heart when I'm going through the holidays with difficult relatives? You work a job? Is it, is it a compromise in your heart to pay attention and work at work? Is loving your kids a compromise? No. First is to love God. If I'm with my kids, I try to keep how I please Jesus first as I do that. Whenever I'm working, I try to keep pleasing Jesus first with that. Whenever I go to the grocery store, and this doesn't make me some hero, I'm just telling you how I do it. When I go to the grocery store, I check my attitude as I'm driving into the parking lot because I know something is going to frustrate me. I'm going to look for something I can't find or I'm going to get the one checker who can't see well and moves very slow and there's going to be 42 people ahead of me. You know what I'm talking about? How do I act in that situation whenever things aren't going my way? I honestly think about it because my priority list, I'm trying to keep pleasing Jesus first. And I know he wants me to act a certain way in all these areas. You can have a pure heart, but there's something else you can do. You can settle for just acting like you love God. Being seen as someone that people might say has a pure heart. It's happened before. It'll happen again. Let me show you a verse. Isaiah 29, and we're getting ready to wrap this up. Isaiah 29, 13 and 14. Then the Lord said, Because this people drew near with their words and honor me with their lip service, but they removed their hearts far from me, and their reverence for me consists of tradition learned by rote. So this is two halves here. He's going to tell what he's going to do because of this, but I want to remind you of some things. This morning, as we've been gathered together, you guys have been using your words to honor God. You have been giving Him lip service. You're expected to do that. That's a good thing. But here's the thing. They remove their hearts far from me. One of the, the privileges I mentioned earlier about being a worship leader is I get to see faces. And there are times whenever I know that the words are deep in you. That your heart is engaged in the singing. Why? Because your face shows it. And also your faces sometimes show it whenever the last thing you're thinking about is the words that you're singing. And whenever you're singing and talking about God, and it's not with your heart, you are not pure-hearted. You are doing what this crowd did. Again, with the toes. Sorry. I'm not just trying to get you to act a certain way so that I can feel better about what I do as a worship minister. I don't get the thrill from that. But I do want you to understand, acting like you love God is not the same as loving God. It matters. These people tried to pull it off. 
They tried to look good on the outside, but their hearts were disengaged. Therefore, verse 14, behold, I will once again deal marvelously with this people. Wondrously marvelous. You can almost catch the attitude that God's showing as he's saying this, right? I'm going to deal with them. Here's what I'm going to do. The wisdom of their wise men will perish and the discernment of the discerning men will be concealed. Now just think about that for a second. I mean, we don't talk like that a lot these days, but just think about it. Whenever the wise people won't be wise, but they'll think they're wise. What if Google was always wrong? What if YouTube, all the YouTube videos that we rely on these days to fix our cars and our washing machines, what if they were always wrong? How horrible. Be a little lost, wouldn't we? What do you do now? And the discernment. Discernment is about being able to tell the difference between not just right and wrong, it would include right and wrong, but better and best. And God says, you know what, I'm going to frustrate all that stuff. You know why? Because what you're doing, you're just doing because someone told you to do it. Fellas, has your wife ever gotten mad at you because you just did what she told you to do and you didn't really want to do it? You got me flowers. Well, yeah, you said you wanted flowers. Well, it doesn't count now. Why? Because I told you to do it. Have you had that conversation? Well, God has that conversation too, so your wife has got a case. Your wife has got a case. She's wondering about how big she is in your heart. Well, guess what? God is too. What does it mean whenever they... Their reverence for Him consists only of tradition learned by rote. Well, why do you do what you do this morning? Why do you stand and clap when you sing? It ain't always because you got great rhythm. I get to see that too. And if you'll notice, I'm the, the guy on the worship team that claps the least consistently because I have a challenge with rhythm. They don't let me clap. I can usually hang with you for like four or five bars and then I gotta quit or I'm gonna be off beat. Why do you clap? Is it just because that's what's expected? Did you learn it by rote? Is it just a tradition? You know, we started out several years ago trying to be a church that broke with tradition and tried to get back to something that was pure and authentic. And I think that we that have been around here in this church for a while realize and would all admit we've just come up with other traditions. There's nothing wrong with traditions, but if that's all that's driving you is because that's the expectation in this church, then you're the guy that God is talking to in our Isaiah. Yet ready to be frustrated. He says that he's going to take away their wisdom, take away their discernment. You do a math equation here. No wisdom plus no discernment equals no grip, no traction. That equals stagnation. How many of you still want to be blessed? Oh, that's awesome. Because I saw more hands just now than what I did at the beginning when I asked that question. That's, that's really great. And I hope it's an informed decision. You can be. There is nobody in this room that is so bad or so far off that you can't be blessed, that Jesus wouldn't look at you and say, yep, you are. You're blessed. Bob, you're in a good place. You're in a position to grab a hold of me. It's just a choice. You can control your choices. You can control your choices. Choose to be hungry and thirsty for righteousness. Challenge that priority list that you've got. Choose to give God your whole heart, not just part of it. And you will be blessed. We start off with making sure that we're grabbing a hold of the real Jesus, not the Jesus we want to be real, because this is reality, not fairy tales. This isn't a self-help club. 
This is a kingdom with an actual king. So grab a hold of the real king. The next step is make sure that you're in a position to see him and to grab a hold of him and to hang on. Because those of us that have been in this for a while, Chris and Deb, how long have you been Christians? 38 years. Long time, right? The ride gets wild, doesn't it? Trying to hang on to a moving Savior takes some grip. And we serve an active Savior, not a fairy tale. We follow a Lord that's on the move, who's invading. He is invading. It is a war. If you're His, you're expected to fight. It's not with swords and shields and rocks and guns and bombs. It's a spiritual kind of warfare. Do you know even how to do that? Do you really want to do that? I hope you really do want to be blessed. And I've got a follow-up challenge for you. For those of you that want to be blessed, here's the follow-up challenge. For those of you who aren't sure that you want to be blessed, let me challenge you, change your mind. Because like I said, it's a war. You want to be on the right side in the war. And there's no middle ground. The first thing I challenge you guys to do is to honestly fill out your current priority list. Again, we talked about principles here. We saw how it looked in Peter's life. But what is hungry and thirsty and a pure heart going to look like in your life? Start with where you are. Be honest. Don't try to impress anybody. Nobody's grading you. You're grading you. Maybe Jesus is grading you. Be honest. Lying isn't going to help. Two, check your accuracy. See, we're all just a little bit self-deceived. We all sometimes think we're, we're better than we really are. Or, I've seen this a lot, sometimes we think we're worse than we really are. Neither one helps us. We need to have some accuracy as we figure out our priority list and where we really stand on this. So how can you check your accuracy? Let me make a suggestion that was given to me several years ago and it's borne out to be true. Check where you spend your time and check where you spend your money. Because where you spend your time and your money will always tell you about what's really important where your priority goes. Okay, watch your toes, here I come. If you spend more time and money on taking your kids to their athletic events than you do trying to find out what pleases Jesus, you do not have a blessed priority list. You do not have a clear view of who Jesus is. You do not have a great grip on who he is. Have I, has God got anything against kids going to sporting events? I just gave you a scripture that hopefully helps you understand that no, he's got nothing against that. It's just not supposed to be your first priority. If your wage and what you can earn and what you can buy in in retirement, whatever that might be, if retirement is what you're putting in your number one, there's nothing wrong with those things. But if you're spending more time and effort on your recreation, on these things, than what you are on finding out what pleases God, you need to change your priorities. You need to change your priorities. Or accept that you will face stagnation. This is your choice. Either you have a blessed priority list or you will face loss of grip and stagnation. You will not have traction following Jesus. You will be a person who just attends a church. Churches are full of them. Some preachers love it because it makes them look like they're doing a good job to pack the house. And they hope that you kind of like Jesus. I don't think the Scripture tells us that's where we're supposed to settle. I don't know any place in Scripture where it talks about how big Jesus wants His bride to be. But there's a whole bunch of them that talk about how pure He wants her to be. 
man, don't settle for just attending. Don't settle for being not blessed. Try it. Try changing your priority list. If you get a glimpse of the real Jesus, it'll solve the problem. It will solve the problem because there is nothing more magnetic, nothing more drawing, more magnificent, more enthralling than our Master, than our Lord. He is more than we can describe. Every Sunday we sing songs trying to draw a better bead on Him, and He's bigger than our songs. He's bigger than our words. If you just catch a, a glimpse of Him, one little taste. Have you ever had a meal that was so good that you just kept eating way past full? I do that too often. And I learned how to cook. That was not to my advantage. <laughs> and you, know, you just keep eating because it tastes so good and you just get so full. It never works like that with, with righteousness and with God. You taste what He is. You just keep consuming. You'll never be full. It will, it will change your entire world. So I want to challenge you to check your accuracy of your, of your priority list and then decide on your, on your answers if you're blessed. And if you really want to be blessed, then I've given you a couple of things you can start with. But it takes more than just two steps to change this. You're going to need, and this is the fourth challenge, is to partner with somebody who can help. Notice I didn't say just partner with someone. There's a difference between partnering with somebody and somebody that can help. And let me give you a little clue. Partnering with somebody who can help is not always the same as partnering with somebody that you like. Sometimes the people that help me the most are not the people that I like the most all the time. Especially when they're dancing on my toes. See, i got toes too. And the only way that I've learned some of these things is by people having the guts to step on them, get my attention, and drag me back to Scripture. If I didn't have somebody who loved me enough like that, or who knew me well enough to know where I was out of line, I don't know if I'd be much for anybody. I don't think I'd have as much of a grip as I do. And there's a lot of room for me to increase my grip, I can tell you. Which is why I spend a lot of time with a lot of guys around here. And I try to be pretty honest. Do you? Will you? Okay, I'm going to wrap it up. I've gone longer than what I wanted to do. Hopefully you want to be in a position to get a grip on the real Jesus. And next week we're going to look at the next thing that we can do. How does God reveal Jesus to us? First, you've got to decide you want the real one. Next, you've got to get yourself in a position where you can grab a hold of Him, choosing to be blessed. And next week, we'll talk about, well, how does God actually reveal the real Jesus to us? How do we get that grip on Him? If you would, let's pray, and we'll sing a couple songs, and we'll be done this morning. Heavenly Father, uh, we love You. You know, we're here because of You. Uh, each of us understands You possibly a little differently. Some of us are just starting to turn our attention and our hearts towards You. Some of us have been trying to take you in for years and years now. And we find that the mystery is still as rich and still as deep. Father, none of us are perfect. All of us struggle. But I think that's why you've put us together in a body. Because where I'm weak, another guy is strong. And what I don't understand, another guy has got worked out. And you help us, man, so often as we live in this minefield of a world... It's so easy to lose our priorities or to get them scrambled, not see things for as they are. Father, I pray that you'll help us to take this family thing, this, this identification as your body, more seriously than we ever have. And Father, help us to choose to be blessed, 
to see you for who you really are and to acknowledge you in all of our ways. Father, help us not to be a church that only gives you lift service but keeps our hearts divided or far away from you. Father, I pray that you'll help us to be a church that's known for more than basketball tournaments and fun things, but that we'll be known for your presence being here. Father, we can't do that through our own efforts. We'll only be known for your presence whenever we humbly submit to you, whenever we give you our whole hearts and you pour your Spirit out among us in a way that the world can see. And Father, I pray that you'll help us to desire that more than ever before. Father, I pray that you'll grant that to us so that your name will be honored. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.